Welcome back, everybody, to Story Symbol Spirit, a podcast on how to make sense of scripture. My name is John McCambridge, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host. I'm Jackie Mitchell. A.K.A. Jackie May. Jackie A.K.A. May. Yeah, that's true. Jackie Jones. Jackie Jones. That's which what we, I thought you were going to say. Which we dove into last yeah, time. Yeah. But we've we've mentioned both on the podcast, so our listeners are, are I have familiar. many names, many aliases. Yeah. We never, I have my maiden name as well. <laughs> Yeah, which is crazy <laughs> with the silent O at the end. It's not that really is kind of crazy. All right, Jackie. Well, uh, here we are. This is episode 56. Wow. And so we are slowly creeping towards another celebration. We're When's continuing. your next celebration? Are you going to celebrate at 60? Really? You're doing every 10? <laughs> I should do every five. I don't know why you're surprised by that. <laughs> why don't we yeah, just celebrate every episode? At least every 10. Uh, and so I, I feel like I'm going to actually tell you that you need to plan an appropriate celebration for the 60th episode for me and for our listeners. And so oh, we will be okay. expecting that yeah, and I'll, I'll be, be looking about that forward for sure. to that. Yeah. Uh, Jackie, <laughs> tell us, uh, tell us a little bit about what's, uh, what's going on in your life right now. Ooh. Um, you know, I've been waking up really early. I've been working out, oh, which wow. is like new for me. Is that not really? Yeah. I'd like never work like out at a gym. Yeah. I've been going to orange theory, which is like intense. Yeah. That's like a cardio like uh yeah it's like about interval, like yeah right? it's about like heart rates but i really like it and i think it's because you i think my problem with working out is like figuring out what to do oh yeah sure and um i had a friend who's been going to orange theory for a long time and she referred me and i went and i was like oh i don't have like they'll just tell you what to do and mm-hmm. they're like and you're gonna do it and you're doing it now and you're yeah. like oh and then you've done it yeah. there's no time to think about like could i do this right. like and what's the best way to do like they just tell you everything yeah, yeah. and i finished the workout and i'm like i didn't i didn't think at all like <laughs> There's just blaring music and I'm like just fighting for my life. And afterwards I'm like, yeah, okay, well, I'll see you tomorrow. Well, sometimes in those like classes, they like tell you to do something and you're like, well, obviously I can't do that. But then you look around and everyone else is doing yeah. it. And so you're like, okay, well, I guess I'll do it. And then you do it. And they have this big thing because I hate running. This is so like half the class is usually on the treadmill, which I'm, I'm getting better at, but I do hate running. And like the first day I was like, I don't even think I can run the whole time. Like yeah. they were asking me to run for 20 minutes. And I was like, I don't know if I, I can do that. Long. Yeah. I mean, it's, not, it's like a jogging pace. It's not like a sprint, but... You're not sprinting <laughs> no. for 20 minutes? But they ask you, they do like a one minute of a sprint, but the thing that they have on the wall is something like, um, it's like, like, I thought I could do it. I'm doing it. I did it. Oh. And I was like, oh, that's so stupid. And then I like, that's essentially what I do every day. <laughs> I was like, the first day I was like, that's dumb. And then I did that. And I was like, oh, That's man, also it classic works. Jackie. <laughs> This is bad. That's bad. And then oh, actually, that, 15 that minutes is later, cool. that's, that's not bad. Actually, it's not bad. I really liked it. Joel and I were talking about this on uh, the Rest podcast. I was a guest on that a couple weeks ago. And we were talking because, you you know, his son plays basketball mm-hmm. and they play like 50 games. In, yeah, like, I feel couple, like they like, always They, have they a play game. like multiple games yeah. per week and like it's crazy. And I was laughing because I was like, could you imagine like one basketball game and I would be, I'd be cooked. Yeah. For like, for like a week. Like a week. <laughs> and so we were laughing and, and we, then we started talking about as an adult, when's the last time you just sprinted? <laughs> like, why would you? Mine was today because of Orange Theory, but, but before that, that, yeah, like, right? never. Like if you have like these, maybe like if you're doing interval trainings, yeah, but like. But other than that. It's like only if you're in you danger. To, even like, <laughs> even when you're in danger, like I think I, I'm. That would have to be severe danger. Even if like, like a, you like have to tell someone like really quickly something, like I'm probably jogging. Yeah. Still, like, like I'm a, not sprinting. A brisk walk. Yeah. Or I'm texting them. Like <laughs> yeah. I'm not. Right. I mean, I not guess. running anywhere. Yeah. And then the other one that's kind of funny is like, when's the last time you just jumped as high as you could? 
<laughs> when was that for you? I mean, never. I'm, like, yeah, I don't I mean, know. I, I, I don't want to do it. I'm embarrassed of how it would probably be so low. Yeah, like I was. This is pro- probably when I was playing baseball. Oh, they like catch. Well, like if a, if someone hits one, it's like going over your head. You know, you get to jump. To you catch jump. It. You jump up in the air sometimes, but like, you know. Besides that, like, yeah, why would why I, would one jump? Why would I ever jump? <laughs> yeah, like maybe if something's like like uh, uh, coming f- quickly towards your knees. Hey, wait, no, no, no. We had kids worship night last night, and I remember specifically Matthew asking everyone in the room on the count of three to jump as high as they could. Did oh. you not participate? Well, in that? I have a bad knee. <laughs> <laughs> Those kids were jumping as high as they could for yeah. sure. Dude, Matthew's the best. We talked about this before we came in here. Matthew's one of our worship leaders, and he's in charge of our like youth worship and. He used to just be like this all the time. Like when he was mm-hmm. in high school, he was like kind of a wild man. Yeah. It was just in terms of energy. But he had the, you know, we sang this song, Gratitude, which, mm-hmm. you, which you might know. And that was the first time that we led the kids in it, I believe. Yeah. And it was very cute because it's like a slower song. Which it's is like always an, sweet to it's see like an kids adult singing. Song. Yeah. And we have like uh, worship leaders and dancers on stage who are doing movements and then the kids just like copy them, right? Right. So for this one, like some of the kids were like putting their hands in the air, you know, yeah. and, and so it was, it was very cute. And then we ended it and did like a prayer. Mm-hmm. And then Matthew turned around and gave like a, like a Tiger Woods fist pump yes. <laughs> as we transitioned out of it. I just thought that was, that's like a funny reaction, like so to funny. end a prayer with like a giant yes. fist pump. Like, yes. But that was fun. Kids, honestly, kids it's probably the right posture, great. honestly. I know, I know. I probably have a lot to learn from him. <laughs> I know. So, uh, okay, Jackie. So here's here's the deal. You forgot to uh, write an episode for today. Oh, I forgot. <laughs> so, is that what you, that is? Yeah, well, tell the people. You're the one who writes all these and com- comes up with all these right. ideas. And I just come mm-hmm. on here and, okay. and ramble. But oh, uh, interesting. We're, we're actually, we're doing, uh, we're in the middle of a prayer class right now. Yeah. We're doing a weekend sermon series on prayer and worship. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, I've kind of been a little bit busy, you know, preparing for that and studying yeah. some of that stuff. We'll give uh, you a pass. And so we're not going to move on in our story, mm-hmm. okay, uh, in the Bible. But I do think that it's probably a good time because do you remember what the last episode was like really about, like the heart of the last episode? Um, We talked about... I remember when we ended, we talked about the tribes of, we talked about the line of Benjamin, the line right. of Judah. Yeah, the kings. The kings. Um, but really before that, we talked about his sons being basically disqualified otherwise, right? right. Jacob's sons. And the question of the covenant. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so all of what we talked about last week was about how, you know, because of their actions. Yes. The, the covenant, covenant is kind of compromised. Should probably be taken from yeah. them, right? And then all everything that God really redid with Jacob, right? He like, remember he renamed him Israel and, um, you know, re-upped the promises of the covenant. And it was all these things that we had seen before. Mm -hmm. And what what we took from that is that basically what God was doing was reassuring him that the covenant is still with him, Mm -hmm. even though his sons, you know, really messed up and may not be the ideal covenant carriers, Mm -hmm. right? This was God kind of re-upping the covenant with him. And so I just kind of think that it might be an interesting thing to talk about today using what we've seen so far in the Bible uh, to talk about what what does it mean to be in a covenant with God? Mm-hmm. You know, because we are in a covenant with God as Christians, mm-hmm. right? We call it the new covenant, but uh, it's really not that different than the old covenant. Yeah. Right. We get that twisted. Yeah. So people will say, and very, very <clears throat> people that I respect and like yeah. scholars, um, and so I quibble with this humbly. Mm. 
But people will say, well, the Mosaic covenant was a works-based covenant. Mm. And the new covenant is a faith-based covenant. Mm. But that's not really true. Mm -hmm. And the reason that that's not really true is because the Mosaic covenant did have a law, Mm -hmm. right? And God's uh, dealings with the people of Israel had to do with their obedience to the law. But remember that the people of Israel were not God's people because of the law. Mm -hmm. Why were they God's people? He chose them. Okay. So why are we God's people? Because he chose us. Okay. So it's like, they're really not different. Now, uh, the other reason why it's not as different as we tend to think is because we have a law. Yeah. Right? So people get this, people get really uh, sometimes worked up at me and at Joel. Yeah. Because we, we emphasize this. You know, we are to live the Christian life. Yeah. You know, if you, like, I just, if, if you're uh, hesitant right now, even with me saying this, I want you to go read Ephesians 4 and 5. Mm. Just go read Ephesians 4 and 5. This is Paul. And he's talking to a church of Christians, a mm-hmm. church that has been saved by grace. In fact, Ephesians 2 is one of the most famous, you're not saved by yes. your works, you're saved yeah. by grace uh, so that no man can boast. Uh, and then you get into Ephesians 4 and 5 and it's like, here's all the things that you cannot do. Yeah. And here are all the things that you must do. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, the spirit is grieved. Yes. Right? Yeah. It's like, it's really intense, mm-hmm. ethical uh implications, right? It's it's uh, ethical imperatives mm-hmm. that are being given to the church. And so uh, I kind of just want to take an episode and maybe clarify what we think is going on with covenant and law and obedience and faith and what all mm-hmm. of this means and how all of this kind of ties back to uh, what we've seen so far in the Bible and then moves forward into, mm-hmm. into our lives. Um, so Jackie, in your experience, you know, you lead a small group of, of young people. Mm-hmm. Where does the confusion kind of lie in terms of saved by saved by faith in this kind of faith-based covenant, and yet there are still kind of a Christian life that we're expected to live? But what does it really yeah. mean? Like, how do how do people tend to like wrestle with that? It's funny. We had a very similar discussion last night in our small group, um, talking about like free will, and like, can yeah. we just do whatever we want then? I think the disconnect comes partially because, and I think we've touched on this a little bit before, but I think it comes partially because of the notion that Jesus fulfilled the law in a like an incorrect sense of what that word means. Mm. When, if you look at what Jesus talks about, it's almost like he like amps up the law. Mm. Jen Wilkin has a fantastic book called 10 Words to Live By about the 10 commandments. Mm. And she talks about basically how like we think we look at the Ten Commandments and we're like, well, I don't murder. I don't, you know, cheat on my husband. I don't, you know, lie. I don't steal. Idols. I don't worship <laughs> idols. And I don't say, you know, bad words, you know, so I'm good. I'm like 10 for 10, maybe like nine out of 10. Sometimes mm. I fib a little. And then like, she basically takes it and says like, well, here's what Jesus says. If you've even like angered in your heart over someone you've sinned. Right. Mm. So I think part of the issue comes from like people's idea of, false idea of like Jesus being this guy who came in and was like, Hey, don't worry about all that stuff. Like you're good guys. Like I'm here. Mm. And he essentially walked around and called people to like a higher calling than what the law called. Right. Which I think is just a, a a disconnect because I think if you read, hi, this is my, my qualm. I feel like people say a lot about Jesus without like reading what he did. Yeah, right, right. You know? So I think yeah. like genuinely, like a lot of the rhetoric surrounding like, well, Jesus was just like, dude, it doesn't matter. Like, we're all just like trying our best and I love you yeah. and I forgive you. 
is like, it's just like not what he does in the gospels. And if you right. read it, he's like very intensely calling people to an intense life of discipleship, sacrifice and faith. Yeah. And, so I think the disconnect comes hmm. primarily from like not reading those passages. Yeah. Yeah. I was, uh, I was thinking of the passage where his disciples are, are casting out demons and healing people in his mm -hmm. name. And uh, they're having an argument with the Pharisees because they, there's a demon they can't cast out. Yes. And this is the one where Jesus eventually says, this kind only comes out with prayer and fasting. Yeah. But before he says that, he's like, the, the father's like, yeah, your disciple, I brought him to your disciples. They couldn't cast him out. And Jesus goes, you unbelieving generation, how long do I have to put up with you? I know. And then he casts the demon out. Yeah. And like, my point in that is just that like, you know, this whole like peace, love, like Jesus, like really didn't make demands. He didn't get frustrated. Yeah. He, you know, like that's not true. Yeah. And he was peaceful and you he know? was loving, yeah, but course. not in the like sense that we think of like a like hippie, like just kind of hanging out. Right. Like, And you see righteous indignation yes. from him. Right. Oh yeah. Um, And, and so, um, you know, this is, I think that this is a big issue mm -hmm. in the church. Yeah. Uh, we talk about this with, uh, you said like free will because we're doing a small group curriculum right now in the problem of evil. And people really, really, really struggle with the idea that we are both free beings who have real contrary choice in this world mm -hmm. and that God is sovereign. Yes. Yeah. Right? Like everyone really wants to make it either or. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times what happens is if you go down the road of God is sovereign. It means that everything that you do and everything that happens in your life and everything that happens to you was already preordained by God. Mm -hmm. Right. And you <clears throat> didn't really have any real participation in it. Yeah. Right. Now there are ways that like hardcore Calvinists will, will quibble with what yeah. I just said. Yeah. But the, 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 the idea and the reason that we talked about this in terms of evil is because it kind of means that like the evil in your life was ordained by God. Yeah. Which now is, to use yeah. it for a greater purpose, right? That's what they'll say. Mm -hmm. But uh, that is that is impossible mm -hmm. in terms of the way that the Bible defines yes, God, yeah. right? God has no part with evil and uh, is not involved, other than killing it, redeeming it, and yeah. rescuing us from it, right? So the both and aspect of the fact that God is sovereign and yet He created a world in which. He wants his images to be able to love, yeah. which requires contrary choice. Mm -hmm. And so we have that true volition. We have that true will. Uh, and any anytime that is available, we do have the option of choosing mm -hmm. to not love yeah. and to not love God and yeah. to not serve him. And then that's kind of how sin and death and evil mm -hmm. come into the world and come to reign, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but both of those things are true. God is all powerful. God is sovereign. Uh, but he, But we also have true contrary choice, mm -hmm. free will, um, real volition in this world. And if we didn't, then our love for God would not be love for him. Yeah, It would either be pre-programmed to do it or pre-programmed not to, right? Yeah. Um, and so the reason that, that I bring that up is because I kind of think the same thing is true with what we're talking about today, mm -hmm. right? Are we saved by grace? Yes. Mm -hmm. Do my works matter. Yes. Yeah. Almost every argument that you hear in popular sphere of Christianity is kind of like, it's either one or the other. Like yeah. you're either saved by grace or you're saved by your works. Well, the answer to that question is that you're saved by grace, mm -hmm. right? Um, you're chosen by grace. You exist by grace. You breathe because of God's mm -hmm. grace. You have the ability to choose because of God's grace. Um, and then when you talk about salvation, everything, 
every reason that we have the ability to be in a relationship with God is because of something that he has done. Yes, yeah. Not something that we have done. Correct. So the eternal son of the father became flesh and blood, walked amongst us, spilled his eternal infinite blood, mm-hmm. broke his flesh, died, went into Hades, uh, bound the strong man, came out the other side as the victor over death, mm-hmm. which means that sin whose consequence is death has no power anymore. And now we're invited into that. Mm-hmm. So nothing that we could do in terms of like being nice to each other yeah. could have accomplished that. I've been nice enough to my neighbor. Now God's like, okay, right. we're good. And that's what Paul means when he says, yeah. no, you were dead. Yeah. Right. Andy Stanley has a good line where he says, uh, the gospel is not something that makes bad people good. It's something that makes dead people alive. Yeah. And that's true. Right. And so uh, that is the grace of God. Mm-hmm. And yet as you enter into a relationship with God, there is this, reality where you can grieve the Holy Spirit that's been put within you. Yeah. So the question that I think we need to address in this podcast is what happens when you grieve the Spirit, Mm. right? Like, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I don't know if we're going to get into like eternal security and what that means, um, which is an interesting topic. But, But the question is, if we're saved by grace, if we're washed by the blood of Jesus, if because his blood is infinite, there's nothing that we could possibly do that would be too much cost Mm -hmm. for his blood to wash us. Then what happens when you live, when you accept that worship God through Jesus and yet live in disobedience to God. Right. Right. Kind of an interesting question. Yeah. So what's one of the Mm -hmm. things that we've talked about so far um, where we talk like, what, what is one of the, some of the aspects of Abraham's faith? We talked about his obedience in the sense that it was, you know, very active. It wasn't a passive, like, okay, I believe in you. Yeah. You're a nice God. I believe that you'll do all these things for me. Mm-hmm. His response to God every time is, okay, I will do what you say. And right. then immediately to do it. Yeah. So when God makes him a promise and tells him to go to the to a new land, it says, and Abram went. Yeah. Right. Like the next verse. Right. And so that's, that is faith. You know, it's not necessarily just like an intellectual Mm -hmm. decision. There's another, I think maybe the most uh, extreme example of Abraham's faith. And this is something that I heard uh, a pastor named John Bevere talk about. Mm -hmm. He said that, uh, you know, he gets the son of the promise, Isaac. Mm -hmm. And then God says, go sacrifice this son. And it said early the next morning he went. Yeah. Early. So it was, it's basically this like immediacy of mm-hmm. obedience that you mm-hmm. see from Abraham. Um, and so this is like a big aspect of faith, mm-hmm. right? Uh, the other aspect that I think we sometimes kind of neglect is like the relational aspect. Mm. What, what was like Abraham's kind of relationship with God like? He talked with him. He communed mm. with him. Yeah. What are, what are some examples of that? God invites him into his council, mm. right? When he's deciding about Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah. So it's not even like Abraham just talks to God and thanks him, although he does often. He builds altars throughout mm. the land as he goes and, and continually gives thanks to God. But he also like wrestles with God in like a sense of like working through the things he wants and he prays for. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So um, one of the things I just think is interesting is like, I think that, if you 
if you are in the church and you kind of think about the way that the church is operating in the world right now, at least in America, there is a sense of kind of feeling stuck. Mm-hmm. You feel that a little bit? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, in some ways it feels like the church is losing ground. Mm-hmm. But in some ways it's just kind of like, I don't know, like, I believe this stuff. It's good to be in a community like this. I'm glad that my kids are here learning. But there seems mm-hmm. to be somewhat of like an absence of the power and the presence yeah. of God. Yeah. Right. And that's not true of every church and that's not true of every Christian. This is just me generalizing. I think that if you were to poll Christians and say, you know, do you believe in God? Yes. Do you want your kids to believe in God? Yes. Do you go to church? Yes. Mm -hmm. Do you read the Bible? Yes. From time to time. Do you listen to Story Symbol Spirit podcast? (laughs) Okay. That's a really big one in terms of the check, checks, the boxes you need to check. (laughs) Um, But then if you said, but, but do you, do you often feel Mm. the manifest presence and power of God in your life? I think most people would say no. Yeah. I think, honestly, I think I have, I have some thoughts that I'm trying to like formulate. I think it's twofold in that I think some people would be genuinely surprised if they did. Like I think they're not truly wanting it or expecting it. Maybe the last thing they expect. Yeah, I almost think that's like not what they're at church for, right? Yeah. In a way, it's almost like they don't know what's available. Yeah, or Mm. they're at church because they think like that's, it works. That's what's going to please God. Yeah, like I'm supposed to. And God will, like, I'll get to heaven one day and God will be like, I saw that you went to church a bunch. Mm. I really liked that. So come on in. Yeah. So I think part of it is really genuinely that people are not asking, not expecting, and not looking for that to be found. Mm. And I think the other part of it is that a lot of us are hoping that God will like say something. Let me think of this in the right way, like special to us. Mm. Like maybe the Bible isn't already special enough. Mm. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, I think there's so much to be said from the Bible. And I think sometimes people are like, well, I'm waiting for God to like speak to me. (laughs) It's like, dude, he did. There's a lot of people waiting for a word from God yeah. who are not in the scriptures. Yeah. Right. And that word might be in there. Exactly. Yeah. Most likely it is. Yeah. And most likely if you do have an experience where God speaks to you or the spirit moves you, it's going to move you somewhere that has already been. Yeah. It's it's not going to be contrary to the scriptures. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So I kind of think that um, some of this conversation we're having today is part of what is maybe locking up. Mm-hmm. Uh, are, are, you know, the dynamic aspect mm-hmm. of a relationship mm-hmm. with God, you know? Oh, yeah. Uh, and so so I kind of want to go down this in two in two ways. The first one, uh, okay, so, so I'll lay it out like this. W- what, what, what is leading to what we talked about, mm-hmm. right? What is leading to the fact that it's like, no, I, 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 am, a, I am a follower. I do love God. Um, but I'm not really like feeling his presence in my life. Yeah. There's a distance, there's a gap. And so I feel stuck. I don't feel like I have the the power of God in my life. Um, I don't feel like I have the voice of God in my life. Um, and, and that being a very common experience for, for Christians who in their hearts genuinely want to follow mm-hmm. God, right? Like I'm really not talking about just, you know, people who begrudgingly come to church because you're supposed to, that's a different thing. Yeah. But people who are really trying to engage, right? And they're just not, feeling that personal connection, presence, 
glory manifestation of God in their life. And so the two aspects that I think I want to talk about today, and we can use what we've gone through in the Bible so far as a reference, is that number one, there is a relational aspect that's mm-hmm. missing. Mm-hmm. And number two, there's a faith aspect that's missing. Okay. So the relational aspect that's missing is uh, quite literally what the definition of that word is. It's a relationship. Mm-hmm. So you are married, Jackie. Yes. Now your marriage is actually just an image mm-hmm. of uh, Christ in the church, mm-hmm. right? So your marriage is actually a shadow of what your relationship mm-hmm. with God is is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. So uh, you and Josh are in a healthy marriage, as far as I know. <laughs> you can you can air some grievances if you want on this podcast, <laughs> but uh, what is it that makes your marriage healthy? Besides we, the fact that you love each other and right. like each other. We hang out. We talk. <laughs> we do stuff together. You're together. And we we consult each other mm. before we do anything. Like, I don't do anything without, you know, I don't make any big finance decision right. or like I don't schedule my entire week out without being like, hey, what do you have? Mm. What are we doing? What should we do together? Right. Do you have anything planned on this day? I mean, it, to do so would to to essentially be like ignoring him, right? Mm-hmm. To just like go about my life as if he wasn't there. Mm. And so let's say that you, so so the fact you know you and Josh in your marriage right now, you know there's there's a power of his presence in your life, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. like the things that you do are done with Josh in your life. Yes. And so you're not really making independent decisions. You're not really doing things Correct. outside of him. I mean, it doesn't mean you're always together, but like. Everything matters. No, right? and like even think about like when something happens to you. I one of my first thoughts is usually like I gotta tell Josh. Yeah, I know, this. right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Jenna texts me like random work drama. Oh yeah. And I don't even know the people yeah. she's talking about, right? But it's like <laughs> I just gotta um, tell them, you know? Or like, you know, an example of this would be like yesterday, kids worship night. Uh-huh. You know, I'm here at church for kids worship night. And one of the things that one of the reasons that affects me is because I'm not at home with Jenna. Mm-hmm. And so even something that you're doing, quote unquote, independently, yeah. there's still this aspect yeah. because she's my wife yeah, and she's in my life. And there are, th- sometimes I can't be with her, but when I'm not, there is a part of me that wants to be. Yeah, and there's absolutely. a part of her that wants me to be home. Mm-hmm. And so um, there's this like, when you're married, there's like this, what all, I mean, this isn't technically true, but there's like an omnipresence of your spouse mm-hmm. in your life. Mm-hmm. Now, if you and Josh, didn't talk to each other for five years and you lived in separate places for five mm-hmm. years, what would happen to your relationship? Wouldn't be there. We wouldn't know each other. And so what power would he have in your life and what power would you have in his life? Essentially none. Yeah. So I think that, um, you know, we talked about Abraham. Mm-hmm. Well, he Abraham ate lunch with God. Yeah. And then talked to God about Sodom mm-hmm. and is called a friend of God, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, there's a relational aspect that that a lot of Christians are uh, entered into a marriage with God, mm-hmm. right? They entered into the covenant with him. And so they're married to Christ mm-hmm. and then have not spent any time with him since. Yeah. And I think it's almost uh, like a cycle of like not communing with God, mm. feeling far away from him. And then because you feel far away from him, it's that much harder to like mm. want to commune with him. Yeah. Do you ever, you ever have like an argument and then you have to like eat dinner afterwards? Yeah. That's like sometimes the hardest part is like setting stuff aside and being like, okay, like 
let's eat dinner. Love you anyways. Yeah. So like that first step becomes so hard because there's been that absence. And then I think like, because of that, we continue to not have that communion with God. Yeah. And so, um, there are, you know, and, and so some of the disciplines that the, the church has historically uh, recommended and sometimes even mandated mm-hmm. in order to facilitate relationship with God are things like prayer mm-hmm. and singing mm-hmm. and fasting, mm-hmm. right? These are all things that, that the purpose of them is not to like, um, you know, you, you need to do these things because God said the purpose of them is that those three things are relational things mm-hmm. that you're doing with God mm-hmm. in concert with God in order to draw near to him. Yeah. In the scriptures, James says that uh, God draws near to those who draw near to him. Mm-hmm. Right. So again, John Bevere, who has helped me a lot on this topic, says that basically what the scriptures are saying, and you can never put God in the box, so you have to be careful. But mm-hmm. basically what the scriptures are saying is that your proximity to God is more up to you than it is to him. Mm-hmm. Because the spirit yearns jealously mm-hmm. for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... God draws near to those who draw near to him. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of people who are like, I, where is God in my life? I don't feel his presence. I don't, I don't feel his power. Uh, I, maybe I've never felt that. And one of the questions is like, well, do you spend time with him? Yeah. I mean, for real, like, do you, do you talk to him? Mm-hmm. Do you think about him? Mm-hmm. Is he a part of your decision processes? Uh, do, do you care? about what he says, like, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a, and and I don't want to belittle this because this is better than nothing, but you know, a lot of people's Bible intake is the verse of the day Mm -hmm. on, on the Bible app. And that, that's fine. But you're probably like, if you like, this is like, if you're meditating on it, you're probably talking five minutes. Yeah. Right. But you, Jackie, cannot spend five minutes with your husband per day and be in an intimate relationship with him where his presence and power is something that is manifest in your life. Yeah, And similarly, I think often when people pray and when people say, I I don't feel near to God, like they're asking God for something in a crisis, which is good to turn to God for that. That's not what we're saying. But what we're saying is if that's the only time you pray to him, Mm -hmm. When you really desperately want something, mm-hmm. twice a year something happens and you're like, oh, this is really hard. I got to pray to God. Get me out of this. And and that's why we have to take, you know, sometimes it's funny. It's like in the scriptures, Paul says, hey, the mystery of marriage, by the way, is Christ in the church. Mm-hmm. And then we're, and then we use it at weddings, but kind of think that like, it's not really yeah. a marriage. Like we're not really married to God, right? We're actually married to my spouse. But like I, I'm not really. Yeah. And it's like, no your marriage to your spouse is actually less real than your marriage to God, Mm -hmm. right? Because that's the ultimate. Your Mm -hmm. relationship is a beautiful image and picture of that. And so we we really have to run this marriage metaphor to its its, like final conclusion. If you don't speak to your spouse for five years Mm -hmm. and then something bad happens to you and you call and say, hey, I need your help. Can you come in and, you know, uh, help me get my, I locked my keys in my car. Yeah. Like there's a very good possibility that your spouse is going to be like, no, yeah, I don't, I don't know you, yeah, right, um, and so there, there's definitely people who who don't speak to God for for years and years and years, mm-hmm. and then something bad happens and they ask God to come and fix the circumstance, and it doesn't get fixed the way that they think that it should, and then they get even more bitter towards God, yeah, and it's like, well, that's that's more like a vending machine than it is a husband. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And so the question is, is God a vending machine 
or is God, you know, your your husband? Mm. Are you, are you like married to him? Are you in an intimate relationship with him? Um, and so I, I think that, um, you know, that intimacy that's missing means that the presence of God is like here because of the spirit, mm-hmm. but it's not close Yeah, because we don't draw near, yeah. right? Um, and so what are, what are some, what are some things in terms of the relational aspect that you think would be helpful for people? Yeah, I think, like I said, I think that that first, you know, month or that first like step is going to be the hardest because it's so unfamiliar. It almost feels yeah. awkward. Right. Yeah. But then once you get a taste of it, and I mean this genuinely, mm-hmm. like when you get a taste of like praying, not in order to receive something, but in order to commune with God, yeah, you'll find yourself wanting to talk to him more throughout mm-hmm. the day. Mm-hmm. I genuinely, I right. mean that, that happened with me. I, you know, very much so high school, early college felt like I was praying to God in mostly in order to get stuff. Mm. And even if it was stuff like, can you give me wisdom? All I was doing was asking him for stuff. When I started to have a rhythm of like just communing with him, talking to him about who he was. I mean, think about like even that in, in terms of a marriage, you know, if you just talk about yourself to your spouse forever, how annoying. Yeah, if, if, <laughs> I mean, genuinely. If you talk to your spouse a lot, but you're only ever asking him to do something to do for stuff? you. Yeah. That's not that's not a healthy relationship, right? right? Exactly. There's, yeah. So I think even like So what does that look like for you to like to actually commune with God yeah. rather than request things of him? Yeah. I have um one of the things that I really recommend that I I love and it'll take me the rest of the, my life to fill out is um I can't think of the I it might just be esv.org has these like sets of individual books of the Bible. And I've been writing down the Psalms one by one. So it's like one page and then a blank page for you to write. I don't know that like they're necessarily saying you have to write it out. You can journal in it as well, but I'm like writing it out side by side. Um, To start a lot of my prayers in that aspect, not only to just like model my prayers after the Psalms, but just to not have the first thing out of my mouth be like, hey, can I have this please? Mm. Has been really helpful. And, and you talked about this in your class um, on Monday that you're going through um, on prayer, but like first acknowledging like our posture towards God and who he is and who we really are, I think not only like is pleasing to him, but it, it helps posture our hearts and understand like, I mean, we can approach the throne with boldness, but there is like an aspect of understanding like you're holy and I'm not. Yeah. So even though I may ask you for stuff later in this prayer, I have to first acknowledge that like, it may not even be what's good for me in a way that I don't understand. And it may be that like, you have something in better store that Mm. I don't even understand. And even if you don't give me anything else in my life, you've given me enough. Mm. So I think like reorienting our prayer to be less centric towards like stuff we want and just like having a conversation with God for who he is, I think can be incredibly helpful, at least for, um, for the, the discipline of prayer. Yeah. If you, um, if you are in your kitchen eating dinner and you are trying to be with Josh Mm -hmm. and he just, and he's just looking not at you, (laughs) whatever, he's looking down or he's looking over here and you are trying to get his attention even maybe. And like, hello, like, and Mm -hmm. he just will not look at you. That's not a healthy dynamic. Right. 
And so there's an aspect of prayer, and I actually think this is the most important aspect of prayer, where we look at God, mm. right? And this is the the week one of of the prayer class was Our Father in Heaven, mm-hmm. Holy is Your Name. And uh, I took this from Corey Russell, but Corey Russell says that the Lord, notice that the Lord's Prayer begins not by asking for something, mm. but by looking at someone, mm-hmm. right? So like there's, there's someone up there. Mm-hmm. You're speaking to somebody. Mm-hmm. So you have to look at them. And I will say genuinely, sometimes I pray, I start that way and I don't have anything to say beyond that. Yeah. And it's not because like I can't ask God for stuff. It's that sometimes all I needed and I thought I needed something mm. from God, all I needed was to look at him mm. and be like, actually, you're holy. Yeah. And I, and I don't know what you know. Right. So yeah, <laughs> love yeah. like what else can you say? You mm. know what I mean? So a lot of times like that posturing kind of answers the subsequent questions mm. or like petitions that you have for God. Not always, but sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, to behold God, mm, you mm-hmm. know, um, is is something that is necessary because that's that's necessary in any relationship, mm-hmm. right? In, any intimate relationship. And so, you know, uh, prayer, uh, specifically prayer in the sense that at least begins with looking at God, mm-hmm. acknowledging God. Um, you know, another, another thing that I think we get confused about, so we're going to talk about this on Sunday, is singing to God. Mm. You know, God is musical. We are musical. The world is musical. And so when we sing to God, it connects us to him, Mm. you know, and most of the worship songs, like I know, you know, people can have qualms about modern music, maybe modern worship music, but legitimately most of the worship songs that come out of major platforms are like good theology, Mm -hmm. like at least mostly like Mm -hmm. good theology where you're just speaking about the goodness and the greatness of God, you know? And so going to church and singing that is a moment of intimate connection with mm-hmm. God, you know, and a lot of people come to church and cross their arms and don't sing. Yeah. And so all that you're doing in that moment is, you know, it would be like your spouse beckons you to come near mm-hmm. and you won't. Well, it's like there is, and we've talked about it being like essentially an intimacy issue an uncomfortability with intimacy. And I get that that to yeah. be that vulnerable is uncomfortable, but that's exactly why relationships work is only if both parties are intimate yeah. and vulnerable. So to, to never tell your spouse like, Hey, I really like you yeah. <laughs> because you're like too embarrassed or like, yeah. Oh, that's too like mushy gushy, <laughs> like sharing my heart. Like if I never told Josh, like, Hey, love you. Oh, cringe. Oh, that's so cringe. <laughs> I wouldn't do it. But genuinely, I think that's how a lot of us like look at worship and inadvertently we think like oh like that's not for me that's like kind of like sappy and i'm more intellectual so i won't do that and if you had any other relationship and you were like well i'm intellectual so i don't really like yeah want to say that stuff to you it wouldn't work right but let me let let me tell you something roy hall you know roy hall yeah so roy hall is a former ohio state football receiver and he uh, does great work with the Driven Foundation now. And we partner with him as a church. And so every once in a while, he'll come in and speak. And he's like a very dynamic, yes. motivational oh, speaker. Yeah. Like you feel like you're in the football locker room and you're about ready to I'm like run about out ready to, field. yeah, play a football and game man, after that. And then he freestyled something on stage one time that he did not tell us he was going to do. And, you know, he experienced what we see a lot of times in our church, which is very unexpressive worship, right? Mm-hmm. And he started talking about putting your hands up in the air as an act of vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about how when a football player, when a receiver goes across the middle and a pass comes yeah. and he has to reach up in the air to get it, it's the most, it's the scariest thing because 
someone's running full speed to put their helmet in your ribs. Yeah, and th- the other times you run, you're running yeah, shoulder and, and forward, like tucked like, in. To protect like, yourself. I would never put my hand, yeah. Totally vulnerable. Mm. And so he's talking about this act of vulnerability and worship, putting your hands up. And I was sitting there and I was just like, mm, that's better than anything I've ever come up so with. So good. <laughs> well, okay, so that speaks to a good thing. It's not, because I think people get it get it twisted where it's like, if like, the spirit speaks to me and moves me to be comfortable to do it, then I'll do it. Uh, Do you know what I'm saying? So like if I just hear the right song or if I just like finally connect with the lyrics or whatever, then I'll like feel that like, Oh, I'm comfortable to put my arms out. Actually Mm. what I'm saying is just like prayer. It is precisely when you are the most uncomfortable Mm. that you may need to worship the most. Yeah, You may need to be the most vulnerable. Yep. And for me, who's had, you know, a struggle with this in terms of, uh, expressing in worship Mm. you know a lot of it it just comes down to the fear of man Mm -hmm. right but i heard something at altars conference that uh they said uh if you truly fear god you will fear nothing else yeah right and so this kind of leads to the second aspect that i want to talk about today how like this relational aspect uh is one reason why i think many people feel distant Mm -hmm. from god even though they're christians the second one is what i'll call faith, Mm. but biblical faith, Mm. right? And so biblical faith has an intellectual aspect, Mm -hmm. right? Where like, if God spoke to Abraham and he was like, oh, that must just be a thunder, right? (laughs) Like, like that, that must just be a trumpet or something, right? (laughs) Like a, um, then he wouldn't have faith, right? So there is that acknowledgement of, you know, Jesus is Lord. I accept Mm -hmm. that into my life. Mm -hmm. What we say in the church sometimes is I accept him into my heart, Mm -hmm. right? I give my life to Jesus. I believe that he is who he says he is. Mm -hmm. And that's important and necessary because if you don't believe that he is who he says he is, then any of the other requirements of faith Mm -hmm. are not going to happen, right? So there is an intellectual aspect, but that's not all faith is. Mm -hmm. There's the relational aspect of faith. So it's like intellectual, relational, which we just talked about which a lot of people are missing. Mm -hmm. And then there's what I will call the faithfulness aspect of faith. Mm -hmm. And so technically in the Greek, the word pistis means faith, the way that we think about it, like believing. Mm -hmm. And it also means faithfulness. Mm -hmm. One word with the semantic range Mm -hmm. of, um, yeah, fidelity, Mm -hmm. right? And so um, the thing that I kind of want to talk about that I also think is is missing from a lot of modern Christianity, or at least the the practical lives of, of a lot of modern Christians in, in the West, is that part of faith is obedience. Mm-hmm. It's not separate. Mm-hmm. Some people think that obedience is the fruit of mm-hmm. believing. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, maybe that's true. But in some ways, if you believe that Jesus is Lord— and don't do what he says. Yeah. Then the Bible says you don't have faith. Yeah. Because the Bible actually says that uh, this is James again. James is, was like, if you read that book, yeah, like he was on one. Yeah, I was just gonna say he, he was. was. On one. Yeah. He was. He was. He was on one. <laughs> and he said, uh, "Oh, you believe in God? Cool. So do the demons." Yes, that is one of the craziest <laughs> Bro, like that. Passages I ever. mean. Jackie, that, like, I, I read that in college before I knew any theology at all. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I was like, uh, and, and, and you see this in Jesus' yeah. life because when he approaches someone who's possessed by a demon, the demons know who he is. Yeah, it's not like they're like, that guy's not real. They're like, I know that guy. They're like, I'm working against him. They say, him. son of David, well, yeah. have you come to torture me? Yeah. 
like they, they beg him for mercy, mm-hmm. right? They know who he is, mm-hmm. which is interesting because his disciples don't quite know who he is, mm. but the demons know who he mm-hmm. is. And so acknowledging him as Jesus Christ is not actually the requirement that mm. makes you a Christian, mm-hmm. right? Because the demons believe that he is the Christ, mm-hmm. but they hate him. Mm-hmm. And so they're in rebellion against him, yeah. right? And so the question, one of the questions of the Christian life here is, is obedience. Yeah. And, and maybe we, what we can call this is the fear of the Lord, mm-hmm. right? And so here's my question, Jackie, in terms of like, give me your answer on this and then give me what has been your experience with, um, you know, young Christians in the church. Mm-hmm. Do you have to obey God? Hmm. Well, the simple answer is yes. And for two reasons, one, because he says so, mm. right? It's the hallmark of Jesus calling his disciples is come and follow me, Mm -hmm. right? And then also, yes, because it is genuinely better for you in Mm. every aspect. So even if you felt like Jesus wasn't telling you to do it, which he is, Mm -hmm. so that should be enough, (laughs) BT-dub. It is genuinely better for you, right? right? So I think what happens, and we talked about this kind of in the beginning with young Christians, is sometimes we get so wrapped up, we were talking about this last night, like, we get so wrapped up in like a, well, I know God forgives me. So no big deal if I continue in these sin patterns because he's gonna forgive me and Mm. he he knows me and he knows that like I'm struggling. So like no worries. Well, first of all, he says to not be caught in those sin patterns. And secondly, if you were to stop those sin patterns, it would be genuinely better for you. Not always in ways you can quantify immediately, but looking back, you Mm -hmm. will see those patterns had strongholds in your life Mm -hmm. that you didn't even realize. So I think it's twofold. Yeah. Yeah. Both for your own well-being. Mm. I I genuinely think, to not even call yourself a Christian, but just to follow like the the Judeo-Christian ethic, like honestly, like, can just generally, even like without faith in God, like help practically yeah. your life. Well, but then to, also like to not lie, to treat others with right. kindness, respect, equality. Right. Like these are good traits on their own, but then to, like add on that Jesus says that like you must do that to be his disciple. Mm-hmm. When you say, you know, Jesus said um, that these kinds of demons can only be cast out with uh, prayer and fasting. The implication is that his disciples weren't there yet, yeah. that they weren't doing that. Right. Right. So Jesus says, come and follow me. You want to be like me? Mm-hmm. You want to do the things I do? Pray and fast, do the mm-hmm. disciplines. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, uh, you know, um, the, I think all of that is like, it, it, you know, all of that is exactly right. Now, you know, the modern world, the modern secular West is built on the Judeo-Christian ethic. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And so this is what makes me so mad about like, mm-hmm the new atheists because they're like, no, we want all of the benefits of Christianity, but we want to deny everything that stands behind it. Mm -hmm. And so all that you can do, like all that's going to do is like, that'll work for a while. Yeah. Right. But there is no kingdom without the king. And so you don't get the fruit of the kingdom without worshiping the king. You lose the deeper meaning, right? So then if it becomes like doing the actions without the purpose Mm -hmm. and the vision behind it, of course things will get lost. And of course it'll become, I don't really have to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I think that, uh, Jesus says this very, very clearly that um, if you obey me, then you are my disciples. Yes. Okay. So that means that some of what we as Christians tend to um, flippantly call unconditional mm. is not actually unconditional. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, 
to follow Jesus is to give your allegiance to him. Mm-hmm. If you are in a kingdom and you give your allegiance to the king and so you're a king subject and you're like, but there's like 50% of this that I'm simply not going to do. Yeah. The king is going to take you and put you in prison. Right yeah. now, I'm not saying that that's what Jesus is going to do. What I'm saying is that the reason that you would get put in the prison is because you said you gave your allegiance to Jesus, but you really haven't well, with your I, life. I almost think of it as like being something like the king's son or the king's daughter. Yeah. So like there is some like unconditional, like he's your father, he loves you, right? But then like to represent him mm. in like a political sense, there are things that you have to do because even a king would say to his son who was not fit to represent him, you're not doing the things that yeah. I ask of you. Right. You're not representing me the way I've asked you and called you to do. You're my son. That has nothing to do with my love for you. <sighs> But and, out of my love, I want you to represent me correctly. And, and what does it what does it mean to say that you believe that Jesus is all the things that he says he is, but you don't really want to listen to what he tells you to do? That's what I'm saying. That's that's exactly why I'm saying I think people are would be shocked if they actually like truly showed up to go, like church and like truly encountered God. Mm. I think we don't truly believe it. Yeah, and so there's 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 lots of examples of this. You know, like the hot button issues in this are like sexual ethics, mm-hmm. right? Where basically most Christians in America who go to a church are, I mean, maybe not most, but there's a lot of them who are kind of like, yeah, like I don't really agree with what the Bible says about sexuality, yeah. uh, but I'm a Christian and like that's that's okay, like that's optional. I and 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 yeah. Before before you go on, just so that this doesn't become too polarizing. The same is true of like generosity. Anything. Yes. Or serving the poor. Yes. Yeah. Or, uh, um, um, you know, this, this aspect of holiness, mm-hmm. right? Like this is something that, that, that for some reason, modern followers of Jesus are sort of like, yeah, that part doesn't matter. Or it doesn't apply to me. It doesn't apply to me. Or I can pick and yeah. choose. Or I'll do these three things, but not those three things. I'm trying to think of who said it. I'm not going to be able to quote them. As someone I read this past year said, um, I could have been Augustine. I don't know. But anyway, someone said, if you only believe the parts of the Bible that you agree with, you don't believe in the Bible. You believe in you. Mm. So if you're reading the Bible and you're like, yep, I like that. I'm taking that. Yep. Nah, I, I'll just ignore that yeah, part. That's too much, that one. You are just affirming what you already think is right and wrong. You've right. not looked to the Bible or to Christ for any kind of direction. Right. Because honestly, to be honest with our sinful nature, there will be a lot of things that the Bible calls us to do that will be like, I don't want to. Mm. Honestly, I don't want to. And so the easier thing to mm-hmm. do would be to just say that, oh, I don't really believe that part. Right. But right. let's not fellowship. That's not discipleship. And you've not believed anything beyond yourself. It's not allegiance. But it's not faith. And so it's not faith. Yeah. Uh, Matthew Bates has a book called Salvation by Allegiance Alone. Mm. And the more popularized version of that book is called Gospel Allegiance. And so that's Matthew Bates. Uh, very, very good. This was somewhat of a landmark study in in uh, the Christian culture over the last, I don't know, seven years. Mm. And very, very helpful. And his point is that he thinks that the word in Greek, pistis, from all the extra biblical sources and the the, the biblical examples of it most purely means allegiance mm. not thinking something right mm-hmm. embodied allegiance mm-hmm. and so okay so so let, let's just uh, one of the ways that I want to wrap this up is with this uh, we Jackie as New Testament Christians give our allegiance to Christ commit ourselves to follow him 
and yet there still is sin in our life. Mm-hmm. And so what I am not saying is that if you are uh, battling sin, which John says in 1 John, if you say you're not, you're a liar, right? <laughs> and so if you are a Christian and you, you're trying to worship God, but you, you have sin patterns that have yet to be redeemed in you, um, that does not mean that you're not saved, mm-hmm. right? And that does not mean that you're not in a covenant, right? Because I'm in a covenant marriage with my wife and there are things that I do as a husband that are not perfect, mm. that I am not living up to what I said that I was going to do and I'm falling short in areas. And within that relationship, there is growth and forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And most importantly, there's repentance. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so when Peter preaches this gospel at Pentecost, yeah, and they're cut to their hearts. Yeah. They say, what should we do? What's he say? Repent. Repent. Okay. So there is a condition. Yeah. It's repentance. Mm-hmm. And as we live with Jesus and sin patterns still pop up in our lives, it means that we have to live a life of repentance. Yeah. That doesn't mean that there's not joy. It doesn't mean there's not celebration. And it certainly doesn't mean there's not victory, right? Mm-hmm. Part of uh, the modern church's de-emphasization of the resurrection is that we've de-emphasized our victory. Yeah. Right? Christ has defeated the powers. Listen to Forever by Carrie Job, <laughs> right? Like that song, that's exactly, mm-hmm. right? Um, or Tremble by Mosaic, mm-hmm. right? The darkness trembles at G. Like there, the victory is had. Mm-hmm. Our job is to step into that victory. So there's supposed to be joy. There's supposed to be celebration. There's supposed to be triumph. And yet, because there is still sin that we're interacting with and dealing with that still has strongholds in our life, there is an active state of repentance, which means turning. Yeah. Asking God to forgive you and asking that his grace empowers you to actually turn away from these other gods, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, Because if you go back to the marriage analogy... Um, if you have, you know, the sin patterns in your life, the way that the Bible talks about it, uh, is that you have, you are giving yourself to, to forces, mm-hmm. right? To principalities and mm-hmm. powers. And so the marriage analogy is, uh, that you got married and you still have boyfriends. Yeah. Okay. Now, w- what would that do? What would that mean for your marriage? It'd be broken. It'd be broken. Yeah. Now, um, <clears throat> because God is long suffering, mm-hmm. he doesn't divorce us. Mm-hmm. Right. And so if you were a long suffering wife Mm. and your husband, I'm sorry, I'm slandering Josh like this, and your husband had girlfriends, Mm. and because you're long suffering and believe in the covenant of marriage, you're not divorcing him. Mm. But what would your intimacy with him be like? Nothing. I mean, you know, you don't you don't waltz in to your wife's to your wife's, you know, bedroom after sleeping with another woman that she knows about and just expect intimacy, Mm. right? Of any kind, Mm -hmm. emotional, physical, whatever. And so when when we have these idols in our lives, when we have these sin patterns in our lives, essentially what that is, is it's it's the boyfriends that we've brought into our marriage. Mm -hmm. Uh, And um, to be a repentant Christian is to, you know, within the grace of God, understand that the blood of Christ washes you, mm-hmm. but also that the power of the spirit and, and the grace of God is powerful yeah. to take hold of you and turn you from those things. Yeah. I think there's a there's a working that has to constantly be done because mm-hmm. the work's never done in our own lives to constantly cut out sin. And I think what happens is the longer we're with God, the more like odious or like, uh, you know, 
urgent our sin patterns become, mm-hmm. like we can see them more clearly yeah, and they totally. like stink to us, right? Totally. Like they do to God. Totally. But the problem is there's almost this bell curve of like when you don't know and you're like, dude, it's all grace. Like nothing. Mm-hmm. I don't have to do anything. Yeah. It's like, okay, I feel great. You get into like, oh my gosh, like I have so many sin patterns mm-hmm. in my life that have strongholds on me. And there is a part where I think like the, the, the easier thing to do at the top of that is to just be like, I can't work on all mm-hmm. these, so I won't. Right. I'm just going to go back to where I was. Right. But there is like genuine. Or I don't like, think I should have to. I shouldn't have to do all that. that part yeah. of my life or whatever. Yeah. Exactly. Or I don't like really agree that it is bad for me. So I think like the the hard part is, and like we said, the obedience and faith comes in when we don't want to do those things. We have yeah. to trust that God has our best interests in mind. And so we have to cut out those sin patterns, even if we like secretly in our hearts disagree that like they're really that bad. Right. You know? And it's important to understand that this is not a conversation of willpower. Mm-hmm. So your willpower will be destroyed by the principalities and the powers within days, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, some of us have really strong willpower. And so there are certain things that you can maybe last a week. Mm. This is not about willpower. This is about the power of God coming into your life Mm -hmm. and you submitting yourself to that power Mm -hmm. so that that power can help you turn Mm -hmm. from from these things, right? So this is not, that's why it's not works-based because even our ability to overcome sin patterns and idols and the demons who who torment us and want to take us from God, even our ability to do that is the empowerment of God Mm -hmm. and the spirit. Mm -hmm. Um, But okay, so so here's here's where I want to end this. I think that sometimes the common grace of God is the most confusing thing about our lived experience. Mm. So here's what I mean. Yeah, I was going to say. If every time we did something bad, sorry, that's the wrong phrasing. Every time we sinned, Mm. we were punished. Mm -hmm. And we understood like, oh, this was for that. (laughs) Yeah. That would actually make sense. Mm -hmm. Now, that wouldn't go well for us. But that would make more sense, mm-hmm. right? Uh, the book of Job is all about how that's not the way that God operates, mm-hmm. right? And you don't want and God you don't to want it like to, op- yeah. Um, but the fact that we kind of can be in a covenant relationship with God, have uh, sin in our lives, and and you know, in the analogy, have boyfriends that we go to see all the time, mm-hmm. and God doesn't strike us dead, <laughs> makes it confusing mm-hmm. because you're kind of like, well. You know, I'm I know I probably shouldn't be looking at that and I know that that's probably not good for my relationship but like I am like still going to church and like God is still to some degree present in my life. Yeah. So I don't really know what's what's going on here, yeah. right? It's because we don't see the consequence. You ever like catch mm-hmm. someone in something and really like the re- sorry comes from being caught, not from the act itself. Well, yes. And Jordan Peterson has a quote. uh, He's not a Christian, but he has a quote about just coming from psychology when he says that no one ever gets away with anything. Yeah. You think you do. Mm. You just haven't, Mm -hmm. you just haven't been in it long enough to Mm -hmm. see the consequences. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that is true. Like the, the consequences bear themselves out, which by the way, both on us and our children. Yes. Um, uh, but, uh, there is this grace of God to stay with us. And like I said about the analogy of marriage, he, is, he hasn't divorced us, mm-hmm. even though we have these boyfriends in mm-hmm. our life. And so what is the consequence then? Mm. Okay, this is kind of what I want to get to. I think that uh, in the Bible, 
when the holy God comes upon unholy people. Mm-hmm. There's two options. Okay. One, they die yeah. because of his holiness. Yeah. Or two, he has to withdraw his presence from them, mm. his intimacy. Mm. Those are the two options. And so as the church, we are washed by the blood of Christ. And so positionally speaking, we swim in the streams of the grace of God. Um, and so he is nearer to us than he is to someone who does not have a relationship with God, mm-hmm. right? There's a presence in your life as a Christian that happens when you confess the name of Jesus, when you put your faith in him uh, and start to move down that road. But if all of these other parts of your life are quote unquote unholy, mm-hmm. all these other boyfriends are in your marriage with God, then what happens to his presence? Mm-hmm. Yeah, leaves. It's at least distanced, mm-hmm. right? Because... Um, it's like, it, it's like the, you know, I'm, I'm, it's, I'm, I keep going back to this, but it's like the marriage analogy. It's like, you're still in the same house, but there's no intimacy yeah. because you've got boyfriends, mm-hmm. you've got girlfriends, right? And so she's not divorcing you, but you've got other girlfriends in your life. And so that intimacy is not there. Yeah. That relational trust and equity and presence and power of that love and relationship is... Uh, at least like mediated, you know? And I think we talk about things like our conscience, right? Yeah. And I do think that is an indication that the spirit is still there, still prompting, still moving, because think about how often you do things you know you're not supposed to do. And even if you don't see any direct, I'll call it consequences. Yeah. Like you feel that in your heart, like I shouldn't be doing this. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and Paul says that's the spirit. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's God has put that in you. So to grieve the spirit in a way is to say, I'll do it anyways. Right. It's like have uh, you go back to the the analogy, having your husband call you and say, Can you please not? Yeah. Go to your boyfriend. Yeah. Can you come home? Can you come home to me? Right. And being like, uh, eh, maybe next time. Yeah. Maybe next week. I'm having a hard day. Yeah, maybe next so. week I won't see my girlfriend. Like yeah. uh, you know, that that's um th- th- that is why we have to take the analogies and metaphors of the Bible seriously, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, uh, marriage was lit- is literally an institution created by God to reflect mm-hmm. our relationship with him. Mm-hmm. It's covenant, right? Mm-hmm. And so that means that uh, to the degree that it applies to your marriage or a romantic relationship, it applies to God, mm-hmm. right? Infidelity is infidelity. I mean, the prophets are very mm-hmm. mean about it, right? Oh, yeah. And you, they call Israel harlots. Oh, uh, yeah. Which is the nice translation. Yes, yeah. <laughs> um, and and we read that and we're like, oh man, that's like that's so intense. Like that's so like, you know, it, it reminds us of those those mean fire and brimstone preachers, yeah. right? But but really, what what they're saying is that you're married to God. Mm-hmm. You're worshiping those other gods. That's adultery, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and and so uh, he, here's what here's what I want you know, our, our listeners to kind of take from this. As you can see from Jacob's sons, God is long suffering. Yeah. Okay. So, so they did not live up to the covenant. And what did God do? He stayed. Faithful. He stays with them. Yeah. Right. Um, now there's consequences that they have to bear. And there is probably intimacy issues now yeah. with God. 
but he doesn't cut them off. And so if you are struggling with sin patterns in your life, if there are things that you have, you know, and, and there are, right? So whatever that is and whatever you're struggling with, um, God is not angry with you. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to kill you because of that sin. He doesn't want to smite you because of that sin. He is waiting. Yeah. He's waiting for you. Yeah. More patiently than we would ever wait for our spouse. Yeah. Right? He's waiting for you to turn. Mm-hmm. And not only is he waiting for you to turn, uh, but he has given you the power of the spirit to help you turn. Yeah. In the the parable of the prodigal son, he mm-hmm. runs and meets us. Mm-hmm. It's not just waiting at the door and you got to get all the way back there. I mean, how, how much easier could this be? Can you imagine cheating on your spouse repeatedly and having them run down the driveway thrilled to meet you? Because you're back. Um. Now, the father embraced the prodigal son before he asked for forgiveness, Mm. okay? So God is waiting there with his arms open to embrace Mm -hmm. all of us, right? Uh, But if the prodigal son comes into the home, has the feast, it's this beautiful story, and then steals the father's money and goes back to the Mm -hmm. land that he just came from, like, I'm sorry, but that's not... That's not the relationship, Correct. right? Yeah, and so um, it's the Christianity and a life with God is both and. Mm-hmm. Uh, His grace cannot be quantified. Mm-hmm. It's it's beyond what we're able to understand. Yeah, He is waiting for us. He loves us. He created us out of desire for us. He saved us out of desire for us. He became flesh and blood to bleed for us out of desire for us. He went into the depths of hell and defeated the devil and came out the other side of death because he desires to have mm-hmm. us. He gave us the spirit because he desires to have us. He yeah. gave us the scriptures because he wants us to know him and desires to have us. Like all of this is the grace and the yearning of God for us. Uh, and if we want his presence and we want his power in our lives, then we have to draw near, mm-hmm. right? And the way that we draw near is relationally, Mm-hmm. being in his presence, beholding him, praying mm-hmm. to him, singing to him. Um, I don't want to go down this road because we don't have time and, and it's kind of a confusing topic for people, but things like fasting, mm-hmm. right? Those, that's yeah. that's a, a discipline of intimacy with God. Um, and, and, then, and then we also have to take his covenant and his commands and his teaching seriously. Yeah. Right? And if we forsake our holiness then it affects our intimacy with God. Mm-hmm. And if we forsake our relationship and being in his presence, it it affects our intimacy with God. Mm-hmm. And so I actually think that in some ways it's pretty simple. You've been washed by the blood of Jesus. You've been invited into the relationship. If you're having an issue with the intimacy of God, the closeness of God, the presence and power of God not being in your life, there's really two aspects of your life that you need to look at. Mm-hmm. Are you spending time with him? Mm-hmm. Why would we expect to be able to be close to a a being that we don't spend time with? Mm-hmm. And number two, um, are you are you concerned about your holiness? Mm. Do you fear him in the way that like you would do anything and give up anything to bring him near to you? Yeah, um, and that means obeying his his ethical imperatives, mm-hmm. and that means all you know all kinds of things. Um, and so, uh, th- to me, those are kind of the, the, that, that's the answer to the question. Like, why do we feel stuck? Mm-hmm. Why do we feel stuck? Um, and the answer is because we have with our lives, 
like schedules, busyness, and with the sin patterns. We have Mm -hmm. sacrificed intimacy with him. Mm -hmm. And so it feels like he's not as near as he could be because he's not, Mm -hmm. but that's not his fault, right? He's waiting there with open arms. And and if we, and if we make that move, then, then he comes back to us. Uh, And so, you know, you've already, we've already seen this with the covenant, right? Isaac messed up pretty bad. The covenant still stayed with the family. Mm -hmm. Jacob didn't seem to be the best sort of guy, had uh, total issues with Laban. The covenant stays with them. Mm -hmm. Jacob's sons are a mess. Last chapter was about how the covenant stays with them. And so God is gracious and long-suffering and he's with us and all of that. Um, uh, But but when we forsake our side of the covenant, just because he doesn't strike us dead or divorce us, it doesn't mean that we're good. It doesn't mean that that's how our relationship is supposed right. to be. Now, this is the thing. Without Jesus, that's what would happen. Yeah. Right? Without the blood, you're, you're done. Mm-hmm. First sin, you're done. And so with the blood of Jesus, he doesn't divorce us. Mm. Right? He's with us. But um, the intimacy that we have with him mm-hmm. and the closeness that we have with him is uh, absolutely tied to our relational dynamic with him and our covenant obedience Mm -hmm. to him. And when we forsake those things, we end up in a position like many Christians are right now where we, we believe in God and we want God, but it feels like he's far from us. Yeah. You know? Um, So I think that that's, that's an interesting kind of framing for the covenant that we already have. That's going to become important as we go into uh, the law, Mm -hmm. because one of the things you're going to see is that, the law is legitimately there to allow the people of God to come close to him. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So we tend to think of the law as the opposite of grace, but the law is grace. Uh, And we'll get into that. And then as you know, as, as you go into the, to the, the exile, the exile, what is the exile? It's God removing his presence from his people. Mm -hmm. Well, why is his presence far from them? Well, because of idolatry, Mm -hmm. right? Um, They have boyfriends. Mm Mm-hmm. And so they're not intimate with their husband. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, then in, in, the same applies to us today, yeah, right? For sure. Um, with with different context and with with different manifestations of grace. But um, it's important to understand, you know, part of this podcast is not just to learn about the Bible, but to help, you know, bring people closer to God. Mm-hmm. And this is just kind of something that's on my heart right now because I hear this from people a lot. They just feel more distant from God than they think that they should. Mm-hmm. And uh, this, I think, is is a really good place to start, if that's yeah, you. absolutely. Yeah. Anything else, Jackie? I think that's it. All right. Well, thank you guys for joining us. We will see you next week on Stories Simple Spirit. Mm-hmm.